We want to advance the kingdom of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we want the rock to reflect the kingdom of God, the greater kingdom of God. This is not a political party. Can I get a witness? Right? This is not a social movement. Can I get a witness? This is the kingdom of God. The word of God says this. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even into the ends of the earth. What is the commandment? Go into every nation. We take that literally. We want the rock to reflect the church that's multicultural and multiracial and and all kinds of multi-different stuff, right? People from different social backgrounds, financial, financial uh, um, states, and, and, and uh, um, um, uh, national and cultural backgrounds. Why? Because the kingdom of God is made up of that. And we want the rock to reflect that beauty, right? And they, and they, ain't it beautiful? Just a picture what heaven would be like. And we know that that shouldn't be just a reality here locally, we know that that should be a reality globally, globally. So we get to not only invest here and, and allow God to move our hearts for here, but we get through the grace of God and the privilege that God has given us to extend with missionaries who say, I want to be a part of the rock. The Lord has called me to Mexico. The Lord has called me to Dominican Republic. The Lord has called me to Peru. The Lord has called me to Nicaragua. The Lord has called me to Burundi. The Lord has called me to Madagascar or to Laos or to Thailand. The Lord has called me to South Africa. And I want to give the rock the privilege of partnering with me. And I want to be privileged to be a part of the rock as I go forward. And, and so it is awesome to think of the church that way because your impact is not just happening here. It's happening all over the world, changing lives for the kingdom. I want you to just think of that reality. I want you to think of the Schraders who are right now heavily supported by us, who have a school slash orphanage that they're ministering to and children who would otherwise be on the street are being fed are being educated and filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. You are making that possible. Your giving is fueling the reality of that ministry. So when we welcome missionaries, it's not so that we can see slides. It's not so that we can just say, oh, we're, uh, it's so good that the church does missions. It's because missions is what we do and we love because it's a privilege that God has given us. And we get today to partner and to hear from uh, Minister Greg Owens, who will be our very first missionary to the area of South Africa. I'm so excited to hear from him today, which you, uh, at this time, what we'll do is let's, let's, let's bring up, uh, if the ushers will come up at this time. As we give today, if, you, if you're giving to missions, everything, everything that's given today, if, if you earmark missions, we're going to get towards Greg, uh, Minister Greg and his ministry. If afterwards, God pricks your heart and you feel led to give more, just let us know you can give. You can put it in that box back there. Talk to an usher who will be there. We'll welcome all giving and make sure that um, 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 we'll send it towards this area. But let's just bless the Lord at this time for the offering. Thank you, Lord for all that you have given to us and the privilege you've given us to continue to partner with you at the work of your kingdom. Would you take this offering? Would you bless it? Would you use it for your kingdom and for your glory? Thank you for Greg and his family. Thank you for the anointing that you've given him to go to South Africa. Thank you for the message that he's prepared for us today. I pray for your anointing to just be on him, speak through him, for the sake of your kingdom and change our lives, Lord, today. We say yes to all that you have for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you welcome with me Brother Greg Owens at this time? Can we give him a hand? Amen. Thank you so much. Thanks, Pastor. Appreciate it. Well, good morning. Good morning. It is great to be here today with you. 
And I'm excited for the opportunity to come and share a little bit about our family and what God has called us to do. And I am so thankful for Pastor Carlos and the work that you guys are doing here. I mean, I love the new logo. I just saw that. That was that's cool. And the new website and everything. I, I like what's I like the trend. I like what's going on. And and God is doing great things here. And it's it's important to be involved in the work of the Lord here at this church so that you can make a greater impact in the community, right? Because that's that's the whole point of what we're doing. I mean, Sunday mornings is nice, but really the reason why we're here is to reach out to those that aren't here, right? Yeah. But my pastor, when we lived in South Africa previously for two years uh, doing some independent work, but the pastor of the church that we went to has this, had this, this phrase that I, I've never forgotten. He said, the church is the only institution in the world that exists for the benefit of its non-members. I like that. Because that's our job. We're here to get filled up. We're here to get blessed so that we can go out and make a difference in our community. This isn't meant to stay in here. It's meant to overflow Amen. wherever you go. And so, so it's important to be involved in the body of Christ. And I'm, I'm thankful that you guys are here and supporting the work that is happening at this church. You guys are doing a great job. And I want to encourage you to keep up the Lord's work and what he is doing to have you reach out to this community. Amen. Amen. Well, again, uh, my name is Greg Owens, and unfortunately, my family was not able to be here today. Uh, my daughter, Abby, is sick, and so uh, we live in the Cincinnati area, and so it was a little bit too long of a drive, and plus, it's just not good to bring her out when she's sick, but they send their greetings. Uh, but you can see a picture of my family. My wife, Sarah, and I um, have been married for 16 years, actually, as you're celebrating Oregon Fest, or is it Oregon or Oregon? Does it matter? Oregon? Yeah, okay, Oregon Fest. Okay, good, yes. <laughs> it's like Louisville, Louisville. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's our anniversary, May 21st, so that'll be 17 years for us. Um, but we have been blessed to have a great marriage, have two wonderful kids. Our daughter, Abby, is seven, and our son, Caleb, is five. And we are newly appointed missionaries going to South Africa to do church planting because... Missions is changing in Africa. Have any, has anybody ever been to Africa before on a mission trip? Oh, yeah. You got to go. If you haven't, you really need to go. Anybody been on a mission trip outside of the United States before? An international mission trip anywhere? Good, good. If you haven't, you got to go. <laughs> you need to go at least one international mission trip in your life. At least one, because that will completely transform your perspective. And that's kind of how we got started um, in this whole missions journey, my wife and I, uh, we grew up here in Ohio in the Cincinnati area. Actually, my wife grew up in a little village in Alaska called Unalakleet, right on the Bering Sea, uh, a little village of about 800 people, Not uh, no roads going in. They had to fly to their high school basketball games to other schools. And um, so it was just kind of a different upbringing. And then they came down to Cincinnati area, which is where both of our families live for the summers. So her parents were teachers in Alaska, so they were there for the winters and home in Ohio for summers, uh, which doesn't make sense, but that's what they did. And so, um, but we met at Miami University in Oxford, Ohio, where we both graduated from. I was a business management major, and Sarah graduated with a microbiology major, and shortly after we graduated college, we moved to Nashville, Tennessee, where she received her Ph.D. in neuroscience and genetics from Vanderbilt University, and I just still had my business degree. And, um, but she is an amazingly smart woman, and I had my dreams of making my millions of dollars. I was going to be a big CEO, you know, better hair than Donald Trump, but that type of a lifestyle, you know, and that's, that was my goal, and everything was on track for that. And um, we lived in Nashville, and I was working at a, you know, you're not a musician, in Nashville, you still kind of work in the industry a bit. And there's a lot, you know, Christian music is made there too, as I'm sure you know. But it's not just country. But I was a booking agent in Nashville. So I would call about 30 to 40 churches a day, scheduling Christian groups and artists and entertainers and things like that. But right after the September 11th attacks happened, I lost my job. And I was unemployed for a total of nine months during that time. But at the very beginning, I was just 
it was the strangest thing. I've never had anything happen like this before, but I would submit resumes and I would send emails and make phone calls to all these different companies trying to get a new job, and I would literally hear back nothing. Not even a thanks, we got your resume, we'll keep it on file. I mean, it was, it was just complete silence. And I was, I was getting mad at God. I don't know if you've ever had those moments or if <laughs> this is just like maybe a personal counseling session for me. Um, but I was just getting mad at God. And, and I was just saying, God, I should not be having this problem finding a job. I have this degree. I, I, I should be finding work. This shouldn't be happening. And I was just getting all upset. And, um, and there was just during this prayer, I just ended up, being quiet, <laughs> which is always a good thing when you're in that mood. Um, and I really felt like God was calling me to be in the ministry. And I was like, what? I don't want to do that. Because, <laughs> I, I mean, I've grown up a Christian. My, my parents have been Christians. Uh, Sarah's family are Christians. And so, you know, we grew up loving the Lord and serving Him and honoring Him. But I had no inclination of wanting to be a pastor or anything of that nature. But we felt it was a genuine call from the Lord. And so, um, so I went on staff at a little church in just north of Nashville with about 150 people. And I was youth pastor there for about six years. And during those six years, we were able to go on eight short-term mission trips with that church. And that was when God just started to rock our world again. And it was our second mission trip to Kenya, Africa, that God called us to do this missions thing in a more full-time capacity. And again, we weren't really expecting that. You know, we weren't really thinking that was going to be the case. Um, but it was, it was what was God was wanting us to do. And we were always trying to figure out, God, how is this going to work? So I'm a pastor. Sarah's a scientist. She does, you know, scientific research, genetic research. I mean, we're, we're kind of like the odd couple. You know, a, a pastor and a scientist just don't really go together. Any science function, and as soon as they found out I was a pastor, that really either elevated the conversation into a direction I didn't really want to go, or it just completely cut off the conversation because they knew I was a pastor. But I mean, we almost felt like, a, like we were kind of like a joke, you know, like a pastor and a scientist walk in a restaurant. You know, it just didn't, it, it didn't seem like it was something that we were, it was going to fit. And we were like, God, why? How is this, how is this going to work? And, uh, but we knew that God had called us to do this, this work in Africa. And uh, lo and behold to us, the floor right below where Sarah was working at Vanderbilt University, there was a new uh, Global Institute of Health that was uh, generated and, and funded by the National Institutes of Health. To, um, and they were giving away a fellowship for a scientist, now get this, to go do research in a developing country. We're like, cool, that's us. We'd like to go to a developing country in Africa. And she does scientific research, and so she applied for that fellowship and was actually one of only a few people in the whole country that was granted the fellowship. And so we moved to Cape Town, South Africa back in 2008, and Sarah did cancer genetic research at the University of Cape Town. And I started a nonprofit missions organization called World for Christ Ministries, and we did missions work through our degrees there in South Africa. And God was just starting to work everything together. And we're just like, how does, you know, God doesn't waste anything, nope. right? Whatever you've gone through, whatever your background is, even though it doesn't seem like it's working out now, it will. Because God has prepped you and prepared you for what he has called you to do. And I heard a great sermon last month by John Bevere. Um, because what, what God does is, you know, we're all going to be held accountable for what we do. But God is going to hold you accountable for what he called you to do, not just what you have done. Does that make sense? Because God has something for each of us to do, and that's what we need to be doing. And when you're doing that, that is where your gifts and your abilities and your talents all come out. It's when we get off track and we're not really doing exactly what God wants that, um, that it may be a little more difficult to understand what's happening. And so, but we understand that this is what God has called us to do. And we felt like, as, as missionaries there uh, in South Africa, that we were supposed to go back. We've been back in the States since uh, 2011. And I've been on staff at a church down in the Cincinnati area uh, for that time. But we know now God has called us back. And we understand now why he's paired uh, a business major, pastor, and a scientist together. It's for this new work that is starting in Africa through the Assemblies of God called Urban tribes. Now, when you think of Africa, you think of kind of like the bush, the rural areas, you know, lions roaming the streets and, 
us feeding giraffes out of the palm of our hands or something like that. You know, that's kind of kind of like the bottom half of that image. Uh, we think of the bush and the rural, and that's, that's a lot of what Africa is. But Africa is changing to where it's now more like the top half of that image because Africa is now the fastest urbanizing region in the world, which means there are more people moving into the cities of Africa than there are living in the rural areas. And it's growing at such a fast pace that within the next 13 to 15 years, 20 years maybe, they're expecting the sizes, the populations of the cities to triple in size. Can you imagine that? That's what's happening in Africa. And so the Assemblies of God has seen this, and they have made this Urban Tribes Initiative as a response to that, to go in and to plant churches in these urban areas so that we can reach the people that are coming in. It is now a top three priority with the Assemblies of God. And so we are a part of one of the very first teams and churches that will be planted with this Urban Tribes Initiative. We're going to Durban, South Africa. Greater Durban is about three and a half million people. We're a part of a team of 40 individuals. When you add up all of our kids, there's about eight family units of us, ranging from pastoral ministers like ourselves to business professionals like a gentleman that was just the global head of security for the Target Corporation and was with the FBI for 22 years. He just resigned that position to be a part of our team. It's a great, vast team that we're going to go and plant a church in Durban, one of two main church planting hubs in the whole continent. Our church in Durban, the other church is going to be up in Ethiopia, and actually their first Sunday was Easter Sunday, so they're already going. We're already looking at starting a church in uh, Kenya. There's also going to be one in Cape Town. So things are happening, and we are so glad to be a part of this new initiative. And so it's an honor to be here to partner with you in the work that you are now going to be doing in South Africa as well, and to be extension of what God is doing there. So we're thankful for that, and we, we are go, so blessed to be a part of everything that is happening here. So uh, if you could, before you leave, just back there at the table with the little South African flag, we just have some prayer cards. Please take one with you to pray for us and our family. Uh, we really, 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 really need your prayers. Um, because things have happened that, you know, a lot of spiritual attack has been happening on our family ever since we've started doing this, and it would be a great help to have that covering. We desperately need that. Um, there's some contact details on the back if you ever want to get a hold of us, but we are so glad to be a part of, of what's happening here and the work that, that God is doing, not only here, but as an extension around the world. And, you know, we're the body of Christ, right? You, you know, each of us has a different function. We're, we're so glad to be the feet even though they may be a little stinky, smelly, get a little dirty, that's okay with us. Um, but the feet don't move without the whole power of the body moving the foot. And so that's why we need all of us together to do what God has called us to do and to do what he has called you to do. Amen? So, uh, so thanks for that. And, and just, uh, just to give you a little idea of what's happening, um, of what we're doing. So, but I want to get into the word. I'm going to skip the video this morning, if that's okay, just so you would be aware of that. Um, if you have a Bible, turn to Numbers chapter 16. Numbers chapter 16. You know Jesus is coming back soon, right? Amen. Are you excited about that? Yes. I'm excited. Normally that elicits one of two responses. You're either, yay God, or you're like, oh no. <laughs> Hopefully it's the first one. <laughs> But he's coming back soon, yes. sooner than we think. I am selfishly praying, just so you can know where I am personally, I am selfishly praying that I get to see it. Amen. Wouldn't that be cool to actually see what it's going to look like? To see what, like, he's coming out of the clouds. We hear that loud, thunderous voice. The announcements, the, 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 the event that will take place, that will capture the whole world at one time. What an amazing event. My son Caleb, um, he's five, and he's, he's a cute little guy. I really wish you could be, he could be here to see him. He's, he's, he's taken it upon himself. We haven't actually asked him to do this, but his job is to pass out prayer cards to everybody. And so he just take it, he just it automatically goes back. Again, we have never prepped him, asked him to do this. He just takes them, and he'll just grab a stack. And if he, if he was here today, you would leave with one of these because you can't deny my son if he's standing there 
you know, holding that. And so that's what he does. And he sees his role in what he's doing. But he, he loves to sing, as you know, as any five-year-olds do. Most, you know, they'll sing about anything, about dirt, um, his cars, you know, how he's feeling or whatever. Um, but he, he, he comes out with some really prophetic songs sometimes. And, and, like, there was one time we overheard him singing a song about how God hates our sin and um, how, you know, how much God loves us, you know, and just things like that, that way beyond his five years. But there was one song that we heard that he was singing about the return of Christ. And we're like, where did he get that from? And, um, and so he was just like, Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. And he's bringing snacks. <laughs> I know. I don't know if that last part was prophetic. I hope it's prophetic. I mean, that'd be cool. Jesus coming out of the clouds carrying a tray of cookies or something. You know, I think that'd be awesome. But, um, but whatever. I mean, my son knows that Jesus is coming back soon. And we must be about our Father's business. When it comes to missions and when it comes to evangelism, you only have three options according to the Bible. The first is to go. To actually be the one to go either either on a short-term trip or to move to another country or to go into the community and to do something that shares the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are all supposed to be involved in going. Amen? Second one is to send. Sometimes we're not able to go to every place, and so we can send others that are called. In, in our instance, I mean, if you want to come to South Africa, that's great. But if not, you can send us to go and be an extension of you. There's a lot of biblical principle when it comes to that. So you can go, you can send. The third option is you can be disobedient if you're not doing one of the first two. Because there are no other options in the Bible. We are called to be active in the Great Commission. We are called to send, we are called to go, and we have to be about our Father's business because Jesus is coming back soon. Number 16 gives a great illustration of the power of God and the heart of Moses and Aaron for his people. Now, we're going to start in verse number 41, but I want to give you a little backstory with this. So the Israelites are out of Egypt, they're wandering in the desert, Moses and Aaron are leading them, and there were these three Levites, okay, the Levites were the ones that were in charge of all, of everything related to the tabernacle, all the worship, all the sacrifices, they were the pastors of the day, and they came up, and the, the three uh, individuals, the main one being Korah, started a rebellion against Moses and Aaron, and not it was just the three of them, they found 250 other Levites that came up against Moses and Aaron. Now imagine that. Imagine if 253 people came to this church office door and started to bring a little rebellion against Pastor Carlos. <laughs> that would be odd. Yeah, right. But that would be not good. He would be freaking out a little bit. And what Korah said to Moses in verse number 3 he said, you have gone too far. The whole community of Israel has been set apart by the Lord, and he is with all of us. What right do you have to act as though you are greater than the rest of the Lord's people? You see what he's saying here? Korah saying to Moses, hey, you know what? God's with all of us. Who do you think you are to lead us? Why should you be the only one to lead us if God is with all of us? And so Moses told the men to prepare their incense and to bring it before the Lord. And he said, God will be the one to judge who he has chosen. And so the very next day, all these 250 Levites bring their incense burner and they go before the tabernacle. And God told Moses, he's like, get the people away from these three men, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Get them away from their tents and their family because I'm going to completely destroy them. And so Moses ran out to their tents where their families were, and he told the rest of the Israelites, get away from these people. And he says, if God doesn't do anything supernatural, then you know that he hasn't chosen me. But if God, in this very moment, would open the ground, swallow up the tents of the families of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, and close up over top of them, then you will know that God has chosen me. And it says, as soon as he finished saying those words, the ground opened up, the tents and the family members of the people of those three Levites went into the ground, and the ground smashed closed on top of them. 
Anybody seen that before? <laughs> I haven't. I would think that would be a pretty memorable day if I would have seen something like that. Not only that, then it says that God sent fire from heaven down and completely consumed the other 250 Levites that were in front of the tabernacle. Anybody seen that? Yeah, that, that's a pretty memorable day, I would have to say. But that's the lead up to this story. So here in verse number 41, uh, number 16, verse 41. But it says, but the very next morning, the whole community of Israel began muttering against Moses and Aaron, saying, you have killed the Lord's people. You get that? The very next morning, these Israelites are coming against Aaron and Moses and blaming them for what had just happened. I mean, there was probably still a little fault line in the ground that had closed up. It probably still smelled like burning flesh. And they're still muttering and arguing against God's chosen. Can you imagine that? It goes on to say in verse 42, it says the community gathered to protest against Moses and Aaron. They turned toward the tabernacle and saw that the Lord had covered it and the glorious presence of the Lord appeared. Moses and Aaron stood in front of the tabernacle and the Lord said to Moses, Get away from all these people so that I can instantly destroy them. But Moses and Aaron fell face down on the ground. And Moses said to Aaron, quick, take an incense burner and place burning coals on it from the altar. Lay incense on it and carry it out among the people to purify them and make them right with the Lord. For the Lord's anger is blazing against them. The plague has already begun. Verse 47, Aaron did as Moses told him and ran out among the people. The plague had already begun to strike down the people, but Aaron burned the incense and purified the people. Verse 48, he stood between the dead and the living, and the plague stopped. But 14,700 people died in that plague, in addition to those that died in the affair involving Korah. Then because the plague had stopped, Aaron returned to Moses at the entrance of the tabernacle. What a story. And I just want to encourage you today with this story. But I want to encourage you, because <laughs> you need it because of this. This is like, no. um, To be about God's work. To do the work that God has called you to do. And this isn't, a, this, this isn't anything new, I would think, for a lot of you. But I, I want this to be a, an encouraging word, a challenging word, and a, and a fresh word in the right season. But I want to I just put, pick out a few things here about this. Look, look at the first thing uh, related to the story. is that Israel received their proper punishment. Israel got what they deserved. They rebelled against God. They rebelled against God's chosen leader. And let me just give a little side note here. God takes rebellion against uh, spiritual authority very seriously. Because God's chosen that he has put in place are there for a reason. Could you be a better pastor of this church than Pastor Carlos? Maybe. But you're not God's chosen. So don't try. I wouldn't want to risk being swallowed by the ground or burnt up from fire that fell from the sky. Even still, God may not do that, but you will be held accountable for any rebellion you start or you're a part of. He didn't ask me to say this. I don't know. I'm just saying it. Okay, he takes it very seriously. Don't be a part of it. Don't allow it to live in this church because all it does is divide. It's an attack of the enemy. But Israel got what they deserved. They got the punishment that was due their rebellion. We, as individuals and as humans, we have the same problem. We suffer from a plague of sin. And the penalty for us and our sin is what? Death. We deserve 
the same penalty as the Israelites. But I'm glad that God, for me personally, has saved me and forgiven you and I, forgiven me. And I hope today that you are here and you have received that forgiveness of God because otherwise your penalty is death as well and eternal separation from him. But I'm glad that God has saved me yes. and that he has made it possible for us to know him. Yes, so Israel received their proper punishment. But the other thing I want you to know is that Moses had the proper perspective. Moses was a lot better man than I was, or I am. He, he, he treated the Israelites a lot better than I probably would have. They, he, he had every right for them to be destroyed, but yet he always fell down on his face in prayer for them and interceded for them. That was his perspective. He knew whom the Israelites were. He knew what they deserved. And, and if we have been in this place of death, and we know that our punishment is death, but yet we have stepped out of that death, our perspective should change, not only in thankfulness for what God has done, but it should also change in what are the people that are currently dying and going to hell, what's going to happen to them if they don't know anything about Jesus. Your perspective changes when you see what God has done in your life. And that perspective should motivate you. One, because Jesus is coming back soon. Two, because, hey, why wouldn't I want to share that with someone else? And then the third thing is if they were to die right now, they're going to hell. But we can do something about that. So Israel received the proper punishment. Moses had the proper perspective. The third thing is that Aaron interceded with the proper sense of timing. Because you see, when you, you were over here and you understand where you've been and where you should be if it was not for the grace and mercy of God, you come over see here and your perspective changes and you see what you can do and where you've been but where someone else is and you can help them, then that perspective should give you a sense of urgency and it should change your timing on how you live your life. Right? There shouldn't be, you, you should not be the same person when you were here as if you are over here. It's, it's impossible. Because if you know that someone is dying, why wouldn't you do something about it? If you are a follower of Christ. Aaron took the incense burner. Incense refers to prayer in the Bible, intercessory prayer. That is, you are praying for someone that doesn't know they need prayer prayed for. You're praying for someone that you maybe aren't next to. He took that incense, and it says, how did, how did he go out among the people? What does it say? He ran. Yeah. Again, Aaron was a lot better than me, because if Moses had come to me, and he's like, Greg, I want you to go and run out, go out and take this incense among the people, I'd be like, cool, let me go to the bathroom first, or um, I, don't, I don't have my right shoes on, I need to go change. You know, I, pr I probably would have stalled, because I would be upset that these people were coming against me and my authority and my leadership. I, I, I was hurt. Aaron was hurt. And hurt people hurt people. And you have to be careful with that. But Aaron, along with Moses, had the right perspective. And his urgency was right. Why? Because Aaron knew that he was the only one that would save the Israelites. He is a type of Christ. He was a foreshadowing of what Christ has come to do on the cross, which we now know, but at the time they didn't. But yet his urgency is the same as what ours should be. We should be running to the people. We should be running to those that are dying in their plague of sin. We should be taking the love of Jesus to them. And it says he ran among the people. The Hebrew word actually for among means that he ran into the middle of them. He didn't just run to like the outside of the camp and hello, don't, don't, don't die. You know, here's some incense. He didn't just like yell in. 
he ran in. And, and being among those people that are dying, you know, it causes you and it requires you to get in the middle of them. It requires you to get dirty with them. It requires you to be involved in the junk of their life and help them through it. And too many times we excuse ourselves away because we have too much junk ourselves. So how in the world can we deal with someone else's junk? I don't want to pray for someone else that's sick. I'm sick right now. I want someone to pray for me. But when your urgency and your perspective are where they need to be, then that motivates you differently because you see that you are the one that carries the responsibility and you carry the answer to save those that are dying. So Israel deserved the proper punishment. Moses and Aaron had the proper perspective. Aaron interceded with the proper sense of timing. And finally, God offers the perfect answer. Verse 48, this is my favorite verse. This is, this is probably becoming my life verse, having read this story. He stood between the dead and the living, and the plague stopped. When you see what we have through Jesus Christ, and what God has done by sending him to die on the cross for our sins, and we know that he offers atonement, which is the fancy word for making us one with him, Again, why would we not want to tell someone else about that? That's our job. If you, this morning, call yourself a follower of Christ, if you are a Christian, then your responsibility is to go and to tell someone else about Him. We all have the same calling, right? I'm a, I'm a follower of Christ just like anyone else. My proximity happens to be going to South Africa. Your proximity may keep you here, but our calling is the same. We have the same responsibility, and that is to go and to stand among those who are dead and point to the way of the living. You know, this cross that we're bearing every day, you know, that we're supposed to pick up and carry with us every day? The reason is, is so that we can put it down right in front of the dead, and we can point to it, and we can say, you know what? You may feel like life is hopeless. You may feel like there's nothing to live for. You may feel like there is no joy or purpose, but I know what this cross stands for. I know the life that it gives. I know the joy that it gives. I know what it's done in my life, and it has brought me life, and it can bring life to you as well if only you would call to the one who is no longer on that cross but is alive in heaven right now praying for you at this moment. That's standing between the dead and the living. That we take this message to those difficult places. We take this message to those people that we're not sure how they're going to respond. We take this message regardless of what our reputation will be. Because we are called by God, we know where we've been, and we have now the proper perspective and the urgency to go and to reach these that are desperately hurting and dying. I want to close with this quote. It was written by a young African pastor found in his papers. He was from Zimbabwe. He had like a journal. And he was martyred for his faith. And this, this is what he wrote down, and, and, and this is what I, I aspire to be. I, I can't say I'm fully here, but I'm working towards it. But this is my heart, and I, and I pray that as I read this, this will be your heart as well. But this is what he said. He said, I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. 
I am a disciple of his. And I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed, my present makes sense, my future is secure. I'm done and finished with low living and sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed visions, mundane talking, cheap living, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence or prosperity, position, promotions, or popularity. I don't have to be right or first or tops or recognized or praised or rewarded. I live by faith, lean on his presence, walk by patience, lift by prayer, and labor by the Holy Spirit's power. For my face is set, my pace is fast, my goal is heaven. My road may be narrow, my way rough, and my companions few, but my guide is reliable and my mission is clear. For I will not be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice or hesitate in the presence of the adversary. I will not negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. For I won't give up, shut up, or let up until I have stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, and preached up for the cause of Christ. For I am... I am a disciple of Jesus, and I must give until I drop, preach until all know, and work until he comes. That's our calling. That's the heart of not a missionary. That's the heart of a believer in Jesus Christ. So where are you today? Have you been reaching those that desperately need him? Have you been standing among the dead and pointing to the living? Who around you can you reach out to? I want to close in prayer. Because I believe that God has a special anointing upon this church. The history of how this church started and to where you've been brought today is not a coincidence. Just as in our lives we haven't seen why God does things the way he does, and I believe the same thing as this church, but God wastes nothing. And I don't know what it is, But I know that as you are a part of evangelism and reaching out to this community, and as you are a part of missions around the world, God will make sure that everything else is taken care of because you're about the Father's business. So we close our eyes and bow our head. If someone from the worship team wants to come, if you're here. I first want to give an opportunity for anyone here. Maybe you don't know the Lord in an intimate and a relational way. The Bible says that you can know Christ and he can be known very deeply. And there may be things that you've done in your life that you're not proud of and things that you've tried to do on your own and you have, have sensed that, that it's just not working anymore, that there's something more out there. That is the reason because God has placed a desire and a longing in your heart to know him as your Savior and for you to be forgiven of all the things you've done wrong in the past so that he can use you for what he wants you to do in the future. But all it requires of you is to take a step of faith and saying, I think I know I need a Savior. It may not make sense in your head, but you know it in your heart. And if you're here this morning and you're saying, Greg, I know I need something more than myself, I just want you to slip your hand up. I don't ever assume that everyone in here is a follower of Christ. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? You need Jesus in your life. 
But let me tell you today, you are loved and you are known by God. And you are seen by Him. So can we pray this together? Father God, thank you for loving me and dying on the cross for my sins. Forgive me of my sins. Move me from the land of the dead to the living so that I can follow you and serve you the rest of my life. I love you, Lord, and I need you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the very first time this morning, I want you to find Pastor Carlos or maybe an usher, someone where we can start directing you into the way of what you need to do next and what God requires all of us to do. But let's all stand. I want to just close in one more quick prayer. And I want you right now to think of how God can use you this week. What can God do through you to help you stand between the dead and the living? Who is in your life that you work with, that's in your family, you go to school with, that's in your community? Who can you reach out to? So God, right now, we pray for those individuals. In Jesus' name, God, we pray that you would not send someone else, but you would send us. God, that we would be the ones to go and to share your truth and your gospel with these individuals. God, that you would use our conversations, that your Holy Spirit would jump on the back of our words, and they would go in the ears of those people straight to their hearts with conviction. God, that our words would give your Holy Spirit the opportunity to work. And through that, you would draw all men and women unto yourself. For your glory and for your honor and for your praise. And so, Lord, today I pray that you would unify us as a body of believers. God, that we would work with the urgency that you are coming back soon. We are not guaranteed another day, Lord. But I pray that we would work with passion, that we would work with with fervor, that we would work with joy and excitement because we are chosen by you to do your work here on earth. So we honor you and we bless you here today, Lord Jesus. And we thank you for the opportunity to serve you and to worship you in this place. May we go forth to do the work that you have called us to do. And we honor you and we bless you. And we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Can we just thank God today? Would you clap your hands before the Lord? Thank God. Papa, today as we stand before you, we thank you, God, for Greg and the team that's going to South Africa. Thank you for the doors that you will open and the doors that you will close. Close. Thank you, God, for the way that you will prosper and show your favor. And thank you, God, for the way this team will stand in the gap in between the dead and the living. By the power of your Holy Spirit, we can't wait to hear the testimony of your goodness in South Africa. And we thank you today as a church body for the privilege of partnering with what you're doing there. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you so much, brother. We appreciate you. Amen. Bless you, man. God bless you. God bless you guys. Have a great Sunday again. If you want to... Get to meet Greg, um, come hang out with him, get to introduce yourself to him, and feel free to, to bless him as well financially and, and with your prayers. Amen.
Check, check. 